Good morning. Go ahead and slap somebody a high five. Tell them I'm glad you're here. Tell somebody else I'm glad you're here. It is so good to see you all here this morning. Hey, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, it's truly a pleasure to spend some time with you and just to share some concepts from the Word of God, some truths. Uh, today, I just want to ask you for one, uh, for one favor. Is that all right? All right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your listening ears on. Right? I want you to really lean in to what the Word of God is telling us. Not my opinion, but what does God's Word have to say? As uh, we already said over the last several weeks, we've been on a series on love. We've been talking about a series entitled Love Does. And what we've seen is that love is so much more than the emotional epiphanies that we have. You know what I'm talking about? You meet somebody and you go, oh, I'm in love. That's not love. That's emotion. That's emotion. That's feeling. Right? The Bible tells us that love is a person. We're not going to dig into the uh, last couple of weeks and recap, but I do encourage you to go ahead and go through the many several means by which you can hear the sermon, watch it, uh, you go to our website. But we learn that love is a person. The scriptures tell us that God is love. We learn that love is a matter of choice. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us a list, a laundry list of what love does. It says love is patient, love is kind. It holds no record of wrongs. How many of you know that to be kind to someone is a decision? How many of you know that being patient with someone who is testing your patience like a child, like your husband, like your co-workers, that that's a choice, right? So we learn that love is a matter of a choice. We learn that love makes a way for us, that it leads us, it blesses us, it equips us in every area of our lives. And last week we looked at an upside-down kind of love, that love turns our understanding of love upside down, that it's completely contrary to what we're taught in this world. And today we're going to be talking about love within the context of relationships. Relationships. Today I'd like to talk to you specifically about the topic of relationship goals. Relationship goals. Anybody have some relationship goals? Some of you just told you, yes, pastor, I am waiting for that man. All right, that was a lot funnier in my head. I'm sorry. Relationship goals, right? The reason why we're talking about relationships is because love is supposed to be at the center of them. But if we could just be honest with ourselves, and if we lean in and listen to what God's word will reveal to us today, what we'll see is that it generally isn't the center. It isn't. I'd, I'd like some volunteers. Carol, can I borrow you? Sir, can I borrow you? Yeah, come on over here. I want you to stand right here, sir. Carol, I want you to stand right there. Nick, right? Yeah. Uh, I want you to stand right there. I want you to stand right there. And I want you to role play with me, right? You are the man, of course, right? You are the woman, right? And I will play the role of love, right? And here's how it generally works. I'm going to tell kind of a love story, and I want you to just kind of act it out. One day you're walking down the street, and you happen to see this beautiful woman. And all of a sudden, you begin to think, hmm, she's a beauty. And you begin to talk to her and ask her about her name and her life. And she kind of responds in kind, right? And you kind of tell yourself, oh, he's kind of cute. I think I'm in love, right? 
And you're thinking, man, I think something's happening here. I think I'm in love. And the whole time, love is standing, and the whole time, love is standing in the midst of you, and you're missing it. The whole time, love is standing right in between you, trying to get your attention, trying to speak to you, trying to teach you some things, trying to heal some places, and we miss it. Let me show you, thank you very much, give it up for our volunteers. Let me show you from scripture what I'm talking about here. The scripture says in John 15, verses 5 through 9, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then he sums up what he means when he says, remain in me. He says, As the Father has loved you, so I have loved you. Watch this. Now remain in my love. There's nothing wrong with seeking love in a relationship, ladies and gentlemen. But we have to seek love in the right relationship. Let me take that a step further. You will not find love in a man or a woman, even if you got a ring on it. Listen closely. God is love. Is what 1 John chapter 4 tells us. God is love. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't express love, that we don't desire love in the midst of a marriage, in the midst of friendships, in the midst of, of, of various types of relationships. It doesn't mean that we don't express love and that we, we can't even, that, that we shouldn't even hope to receive some reciprocation of that expression in return. But love is God, and God is love. And where love is, God is. And without God, there is no love. And if we're not seeking God at the center of our lives, what we're doing is we're missing God and hoping to find what only God can give us in people. See, when you think about the right one, what do you think about? Right? Do you think tall? Do you think short? Do you think long hair, short hair? Do you think outgoing? Do you think reserved? Do you think kind of funny? Do you think uh, uh, someone who has the same interests as me? And listen, let's not just put this within the scope of intimate relationships between a man and a woman. We're talking about all relationships. Think about how you make friends. Think about how you determine who's in your circle. I can guarantee you this. Let's address the elephant in the room. We look at what a person looks like. We look at how they present themselves. We lean in for their interests. We look for similarities. We look for something about that, that we can connect to. Are they at the same stage of my life? I have children now. I have young children, so I'm looking for 
people that are young and have children just like me. You know that there are churches that revolve around the interests of people. And we miss love in the process. We miss God. Oh, well. You can amen or hold me on that one. The truth is that the right, the right one loved you and I before you and I ever showed up. No one can love you the way that God does. You don't have to put on makeup. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to groom up. You don't have to change up. You don't have to try and make yourself a better person, a better version of the old person that you were. God loves you because God sees what he created in you and his invitation is remain in my love. He says, stay here with me in my love. Only God's love can make you and I grow. Only God's love can make you and I fruitful. I didn't say that. Jesus said that in John 15. He says, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can't bear fruit. And I want you to bear much fruit because it's to my Father's glory. It shows my, my Father at his very best at work in your life is what he's saying. So I want you to think about this, that when love is at the center and we meet each other, like Carol and Nick did, and had a quote-unquote love connection, right? Here's what should already be happening, according to what Jesus says. If we are truly having a relationship with love, finding that in Jesus, here's what should already be happening before you meet someone, before you establish a friendship. You should already be bearing fruit. You should already be growing. There should be some things already changing and at work in your life and mine. And instead, when we approach relationships, whether it's with friends, with loved ones, with families, what we try to do is put people into a mold of what we want, what we expect, and what our definition is of the right one. And what we miss is who we are supposed to be as the right one. You consider, and we're not going to turn there, but if, if you consider the words of Jesus and you think about love and you think about 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about love and all the things that love does, in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child and I acted like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish things. And he's literally talking about, in the context of love, he's referring to love as a mature state of being. If you think about the words of Jesus in John 15, here's what we see. It's that love is for the mature. Let me say that again. Love is for the mature. Love has nothing to do with your emotion, with your emotions, with your feelings, with your wants, with your desires. If we're approaching love in friendships, love in marriage, love amongst the body of Christ, love in this world, if we're approaching it from the standpoint where we're giving love, but the expectation is, I better get this back, that's not love at all. We've completely missed love. And so if we're going to talk about relationship goals, we have to talk about what the goal of every relationship is supposed to be. And we only can find that according to Scripture. And that goal is to know the love of God. Yeah. 
Now, you know, I realize that this isn't a popular topic. Love is. Love stories are. I mean, there's a whole industry on love novels, right? There's a whole channel. What is that? Hallmark Channel? Everything's about love in Hallmark. Everything's, you know, Little House on the Prairie, and, you know, she's running down in the lilies, and he's sawing something, he sees her, and he smiles. And... Right? Like... It's just all good. Just love. But you know what? Listen closely. Without a love, without the love of God, relationships don't work. They won't work. If you've been spinning your wheels, running that hamster wheel, trying to find the right one and wondering why it never works, it never works, it just never works. Why is it working? I'm going to find love and this time around it's going to happen and it's just about love and I just want to find someone that loves me and appreciates me and cares for me. It's not going to happen. I'm going to tell you why. Because your focus is you. Your focus isn't Jesus. Your focus is not love. It's not God. Your focus is you. Can you think of a time in a relationship where it wasn't working? Think about that. Can I assure you something based upon what the scriptures reveal? If a relationship isn't working, it's because it's deficient in this one area, an understanding of love. Let me put it this way. If it's not working, here's the first question we should ask ourselves. Am I missing God in the midst of this relationship? See, today's topic applies to all relationships at all levels. It applies to marriages. It applies to friendships. It applies to working environments. It applies to people that we are at odds with. It applies to strangers and acquaintances alike. It applies in every realm, at every level of what we know to be relationship. Because love should be at work before we even step into any relationship. Colossians chapter 3 verses 11 through 14 says this, In this new life, in what new life? This new life. Somebody say, this life. This new life, yeah. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Watch what he says here. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God has chosen you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Now check this out. The book of Colossians, you get a chance to read it. I think it's something like five chapters, five chapters, five little chapters. But you could spend a lifetime just reading it. Because the book of Colossians addresses maturity in matters of faith and for daily living. The people of God. 
for all mankind, really. And one of the keys that Paul addresses in the context of maturity and faith for all of us is relationships. In these verses, he specifically tells us what the necessary ingredients are for working relationships. He alludes to some of them. Paul says it doesn't matter that you're different. You know what he was doing here? He was bringing correction. He's saying, you're worried about if this person's a Jew and this person's a Greek and this person's a believer and this person isn't a believer. You're worried about if this person is a slave or if this one is free or if this one knows this or that one knows that. He says, none of that matters. None of it. He says, set that all aside. And then he says this. Clove yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You know, when I hear that, there are times when I go, man, I just want to get there. Can I ask you a question? This is going to sound like a real dumb question. But just bear with me here. I'm not being vulgar in any way. But how many of you remembered this morning to get dressed before you left the house? Every last one of you. Trust me, we would know if you forgot. We would know. It would be obvious. Somehow we'd figure it out. My point is this. You got dressed not simply because it's the thing to do, but because it's important. It's important. And Paul says here, man, since God chose you to be his holy people, love. Love. But he says you must clothe yourselves first. You know what that word clothe there means when it talks about clothing yourself? It talks, it talks about falling into clothes. It's falling into the mold of that thing. And what God is telling us every day, here's how you're supposed to dress up. Now I know some of us, we go, I got to wear these shoes with those pants. And it's got to be, no, not that belt. How's this belt? Right? We, we go through all, nothing wrong with that. But how about this? Let me put on peace today. Let me put on some joy. Let me put on some patience. Let me fall into the mold of kindness. Let me choose humility. How about this one? Let me put on some mercy. Because just like I need it, so do other people. And then Paul says this in verse 14. Here's the kicker. He says, above all. Man, I'm so glad that you are a kind person. Man, and you're such a merciful person. You're so patient. But you know, if you go back to a couple of weeks back when we were talking about love as a choice, what we see is in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, is that you can speak with tongues of men and angels. You could, you know, give yourself sacrificially your body to be burned for the benefit of another. You could do all those things and not have love. What's my point with that? Listen, we can all be kind. 
We can all even work real hard at being kind every day and force it. You know what they say, fake it till you make it, right? You just fake it. Yeah, I'm just so kind. <laughs> right? But Paul says, look, above all those things, fall into this one. Fall into this mold. He says, above all, clothe yourselves with love. And I, and I, I want to talk to you. I want to just share something with you. that He's not talking about Hallmark love. He's not talking about Danielle Steele love. Right? I'm not talking about all those girly flicks where we just fall in love and they always end up happy at the end because it just works out. <laughs> not talking about that. It's talking about the love that binds all things together. And in the context of what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about faith and maturity, and unity amongst the body of believers. He's talking about relationships. And so you know what's the one thing that makes relationships work that completely binds it together in complete harmony? Everything's in its proper place. Everything's clicking, working. Doesn't mean challenges don't come, but love prevails. Love never fails. Love conquers all things. You know when that's working? When the center of our relationships is not our desires, our own ideas, our own wants, relationships work when the love of God is at the center. I guarantee you this. For any one of us, we all have experience in this area of seeking love from people. And you know, we've learned along the way People fail. And you know what we've concluded if we're not careful? Love hurts. But that's not what the scripture says. See, the love, quote unquote, that you think that hurts is not the love of God. It's a carbon copy. That's not the real deal. It will not work in your life. If you find yourself going from Mess up to mess up, hang up to hang up, broken hearted. Or maybe you're not. But maybe you've just kind of just soured in this area. Or maybe you got it all together and praise God. Great. Glad you got that revelation. Celebrate Jesus in your life. At whatever juncture you're at, we've got to keep this at the focal point of life and relationships. God's love. God's love. So, got it. Got it, preacher. Our love should be a love for God. But how do we do that? How does that work? Well, we already spoke about what it means when he talks about clothing ourselves with all these things and clothing ourselves with love above all these things. But I want you to consider this, that when we invest our lives into God's love for us, According to the words of Jesus in John 15, we reap the fruit of God's love in our relationships. We reap that fruit. 
So, simply put, just focus on how much God loves you. Let that begin to grow some roots in your life and mature you and heal you and grow you and teach you and give life new meaning and new context. Let it push past all the hurts. Let it push past all the pain. Let it really complete you so that when you step into any relationships, whether it's with a mother who repeatedly fail you, whether it's with a spouse who, who repeatedly uh, emotionally abuses you, whether it's, whether it's you and your, and your fits with anger or disappointment or whatever, in whatever regards, let the love of God begin to mature you and teach you and show you something new so that when you step into those relationships, what you bring is love. You don't go seeking it. So the Bible illustrates the power of love when we keep Jesus at the center of our lives through the life of a woman who, for some of you, maybe you're very familiar with this story. It's found in John chapter 4. We don't have a name for her, but she's simply referred to as the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman. And if you've heard this story, my prayer is that you not hear it as you've heard it, but that you would simply consider what Jesus is after in the midst of this, that you'd see it new all over again. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus was en route from a place called Judea to a land called Galilee. And as a Jewish man who understood the animosity that existed between Jews and Samaritans, the opposition, the chasm that separated them, you see, Samaritans were Jews, but they were also half Gentile. So it was like, mom is from Israel, but dad is from Puerto Rico. <laughs> right? How's that for a mix? Right? And so that was a big no-no to Jews. Samaritans believed that you worshipped on this mountain in the the Israelites said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You're not supposed to worship. They're supposed to worship here. And so Samaritans were looked down upon by Jews, and Jews despised, and, 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 and Samaritans despised Jews. They were enemies of Jews. They were considered false worshipers of God. They were outcasts in the Jewish culture. And in the midst of this, Jesus, the scriptures reveal to us, says, I got to go through Samaria. Now, if you just study the, the geography of the time, Jesus easily could have done what all Jews did when going from Judea to Galilee. Avoid Samaria altogether and go to Perea, which was east of the Jordan River, and then head to Galilee from there. But you see, Jesus was no common Jew. He was no common man. He was God and his agenda was love. Turn with me to John chapter 4, and we're going to start at verses 4 through 30. I'm going to quickly read through these because I really want to dig into this with you. Starting at verse 4, it says, Now he had to go through Samaria. I'm going to tell somebody, he had to go through Samaria. There, there, was, there was some intentionality there. I've got to go through this particular region. 
So Jesus had to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon. Tell somebody, it was about noontime. I want you to remember these small, insignificant details, or so it would seem from this story. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food, meaning Jesus was alone with this woman. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In other words, this is outside the boundaries. You're outside the playing field. This is wrong. How dare you speak to me? You're asking me for water? Scriptures clarify for us and say, for for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. They have no interaction. They completely avoid each other. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So what's Jesus after here? You don't know me. There's something you don't know. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Notice that Jesus says, now this is supposed to happen. There's a change happening. Verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Verse 27 says, just then his disciples returned. Let's just pause right there. Let's just stop there. Let's stop there. I want to dig into this. So what's, what's exactly going on here? Listen, despite the fact that this woman was a Samaritan, Jesus sees it necessary to go there. It was absolutely necessary. He had to go there. And why? 
what we see is he had to meet her. Now, it's not uncommon for women to be found drawing water at a well. It was customary in these days. As a matter of fact, it was a task taken on by women in the household. And so it wasn't uncommon, but this moment that we see here, she's alone. And she's drawing water at noontime. Why is that important? Because back in those days, women would go draw water during the early morning hours or the late evening hours. Why? Because it was, it was cooler. It wasn't hot. And so it wasn't just about drawing water for these women. You see, they would bring their big jars, and, and some would even uh, strap on. Uh, Bible history tells us that some of these women would strap on these huge leather sacks that they would fill with water. So it was, it was quite a job. And so this woman is there at noontime, and she's alone. And the thing about drawing water for women, it, it wasn't just about water. It was about seeing Mary and Carrie and Lisa and, 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 and Gina and this person and that person. Tell me about your kids and tell me how, how life is going for you. And yeah, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of carrying this water. Oh my God, it's going to be a hot one today. And how are your camels? And yeah, we lost the sheep the other day. And so it was just this whole social gathering around water. But this woman comes at a time when she knew that no one would be there. As a matter of fact, it's the hottest point of the day. And she comes to draw water. And the key to understanding these oddities lie in her experience with relationships. Just lean in and listen. In verses 17 and 18, here's what we see is that Jesus reveals something to her. Not that he reveals it to her, but he points something out to her. See, he's there because he had to be there. There was something about meeting this woman that was absolutely important to him. And when he gets there, this woman's relationships, five different husbands. We don't know the details, and don't anybody stand in judgment of her. We don't know what happened, but what we do know is this, that none of them worked. And she's in a relationship currently that isn't working. And so this woman was seasoned in the area of relationships, specifically with men. And what we see is that she had five husbands and the sixth man, he's not her husband at all. And the fact that she was a Samaritan also tells us another reason why she's probably alone. And it's because Samaritans were very strict in their adherence to the law, in their interpretation of it. So a woman in adultery would be an outcast in their society. She'd be looked down upon. So here's where she's at. She's an outcast amongst Jews and she's an outcast in her own land. She's an outcast among outcasts. She's in a failing relationship and she's alone and she desires change from the daily routine and weight of drawing water. And Jesus uses her experience with relationships to teach us the value of his love at the center of our lives. He says to her, hey, if you knew who I was, if you knew who's speaking to you right now, who traveled all this way seeking you, you'd realize that I've got what you need. 
you're here drawing some water because you're thirsty and you got to quench the thirst of your animals and you got to provide water for your home and your baths and all that. But I'm telling you that what I give you is unto eternal life. You may draw water, but you'll never be dissatisfied again. And so what we learn from this encounter is we learn what love is, we learn how love fills us, and we learn what love does for us. I just want to make this statement as we're closing out here. Relationships work best when the goal is to keep Jesus at the center. I think that's pretty clear. We've, we've kind of dug into that quite a bit. But here's the truth that when relationships exclude Jesus who is love, we're missing the mark. And the reason why this woman found herself in the position she was in was because she was seeking a man to love her instead of a man that loved God. Can I give you single folks a piece of advice about this? Song of Solomon 8 verse 4 says this, Daughters of Jerusalem... I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Let me just tell you what I mean by that. Now, if God is love and love is a person and relationships work best when what we're seeking is love, notice where love comes from. Love doesn't come from our physical attraction to a person. Love doesn't come from commonalities that we share. Love doesn't come from interests that we mutually seek. It says, don't arouse or awaken love, watch this, until it so desires. I'll tell you something, when you're seeking the love of God, he'll show you the right one. You know why? Because he'll be the right one. And you know why? Because he'll be seeking the right one. That's mature love. So let your love for God lead you to love in your relationships instead of seeking love in relationships and somehow trying to add God into the mix of it. This can't happen if Jesus isn't your source for love. Young people, can I just say something to you for some of you young adults or some teenagers? Man, love is this buzzword, right? I'm just seeking love, you know, just, just somebody to love me, right? If I could just share with you a piece of advice from many failures and then discovering this. The love that you're seeking, the love that we're all seeking. You can only get it from God. Don't waste your time, your energy, your emotional intelligence. Don't, don't drain what God is filling in you by trying to get it from someone because you will always be thirsty listen relationships filled with love will deepen our faith in God not drain them 
This woman spent her days in search of water that never quenched her thirst and never satisfied her needs. She filled up daily and daily she came back to fill up some more. It's a picture of her life. Her job fetching water, her relationships, her faith. All these things sucked the life from her. They left her depleted. And the relationship that Jesus offered her promised to replenish her, to quench her thirsting for life and bring her true relationship with God. Philemon chapter 1 verse 7, Paul says this. He says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Watch what love does. It encourages, it refreshes, it replenishes, it builds, it does not draw from, it gives to. Only God can do that consistently. When Jesus is at the center of our lives, his love impacts our relationships with joy, encouragement, and refreshment. And lastly, only a love for God can mend what we as people have broken. Listen, the Bible tells us that this woman left her jar, the thing she depended on. She leaves it. I don't need this anymore. I might need some water, but I'll never thirst again. She leaves her jar and she goes back to Sychar, village in Samaria. And she goes back and she tells everyone, hey, hey, I got to tell you something. Man, I met this man. Could it be that he's the promised Messiah, that he's the Savior that we've all been looking for? Maybe we've all missed it, but listen, let me tell you, he told me everything about life, about my life. What we know based upon her report when she came back was that she wasn't just moved by the fact that he told her what was going on in her life, where she'd been. Listen, this woman had an encounter with God, with love, so much so that she came in her excitement. And the thing is that it stirred up these people to such a point that they said, man, where is he? They, they went and they sought him, and then when they, had, when they had him there with him, he began to speak to them. This is a Jew, their enemy, teaching them about love. And they begged him, don't leave, don't leave. And the Bible says that he stood there two more days with them. John 4.42 says this in closing. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. Listen. Listen. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. That's an encounter with love that changed their lives. Could you imagine this? This woman goes back to Sychar. And some of the very people that she was amongst that were going, man, we need to go see who this guy is or the very men that she had broken up with. We don't, we, we, we don't know what the, the, the drama was there. We don't know what the challenges were there. But whatever it was, love intervened. And it changed an entire community. It turned around their lives. See, when Jesus became the center of this woman's life, it became the beginning of a ripple effect that carried into the lives of those around her. 
and it healed their broken lives. But watch this. She brought the healing because she received it first. Let's stand here today. Relationships. Relationship goals. There's only one goal to relationships. It's God's love. It is God's love. It is a personal encounter on a moment-to-moment, day-by-day, year-by-year, for a lifetime basis. God's love. Father, today we thank you. Because what we see here, Lord, is that you truly are invested in us. You interrupted the trajectory of all mankind, Lord. You saw us lost, you saw us broken, you saw us sickly, death being our, our final point. Separation from you, lack of understanding, broken relationships. In the midst of all that, you intervened and you said, let me show you how much I love you. And you died the death that was ours to die because it was our penalty to pay. You paid it. And you rose again to declare to all mankind this one thing, that we too have the ability to rise again by your love. That we can experience new heights in marriage. We can experience new heights in family. We can experience new heights in friendships. We can discover what true love is. We can stop living in disappointment because we've depended upon people and we can begin to live completely fulfilled quenched of all thirst because your love is sufficient and your exceedingly great reward. Before we leave here today, if you've never seen or understood what a relationship with God is like and you've thought that somehow it depends upon what you do for God, I, wanted to, I just want to point something out to you from these, these scriptures. That love came to her before she ever sought him. And the reason why I share that with you is because God loves you. God loves you, independent of your shortcomings, independent of your hangups, independent of the mistakes you've made, independent of what you're struggling with right now, what you're thinking at this very moment, or what you will do going forward. God loved you so much that he paid an ultimate price so that you and I could have eternal life. And if today you see relationship with God in its simplest form, transparently, God loves you. And you just simply say, you know what, that's the relationship I want with God, then today's your day. I want to invite you to pray with us this prayer, simply a prayer of faith. Congregation, let's join together with them and pray to say, Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me because you love me. Today I declare that I love you, that you're my Lord and Savior, and that you're my God. And for the rest of my days, I will follow you and put my trust in you. Come on, if you prayed that for the very first time, we celebrate what God is doing in your life. We want to encourage you not to leave here without telling us about this decision that you've made. We want to walk on this journey with you. Now, Father, we leave here celebrating Jesus, thanking you for love. 
and for strengthened relationships from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next Sunday.